Hello, everyone. Welcome to my first ever podcast. I've never done this before, so hopefully it's all sounding okay. All my tech stuff is pretty old and shit. If you're listening to this, I've done it all right. So if you haven't read the description of what this podcast is, uh, it's called This Is Not History, and it is exactly that. It is not about history, although you will get a little bit of history here and there. The focus of this podcast is alternate history, which is basically a thought experiment slash game kind of thing where uh, we just look at history, we look back on certain events that interest us and wonder how the world might look different had said event gone slightly differently. So it is really just, you know, it's just a bit of lighthearted fun. There's not much work involved in this. Uh, It's simply something to do whilst uh, lockdown is happening. How are we all doing, by the way? Are we all okay? Are we all good? So the way that these episodes are going to be structured is that I will first introduce the idea, the focus of the episode, then set the scene. I'll give some, you know, just some historical context um, to make sure that all listeners are up to date uh, before we get into the juicy, juicy alternate history side of things. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this first episode. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Without further ado, let's get started on the first episode of This Is Not History. Episode one, what if the Korean War had a winner? So we start our episode at the end of the Second World War in 1945. The world had entered a new era for global politics, the dawn of the nuclear age, the creation of atomic bombs. Now, the arrival of atomic bombs meant that the great powers of the world, so in this case the United States of America and the Soviet Union, could no longer challenge each other directly through conventional warfare, as that would unfortunately lead to World War Three and uh, nuclear annihilation, which both sides were, you know, keen to avoid. So to counter this, both sides would use methods such as uh, espionage and spying, um, as well as helping allies in proxy wars. In 1950, one of these proxy wars broke out in Korea. Now, this is the focus of this episode. It would last three years, see the involvement of multiple nations, and see five million people, more than half of them being Korean civilians, die. During the war, there were points where both North and South Korea could have actually won the conflict. However, both sides were saved by their powerful allies who'd step in and intervene when their situations became dire. So, let's explore the possibilities of both scenarios. So I reckon that um, if one side was able to defeat the other, I predict it would have had absolutely massive consequences for, for not only Korea, but the rest of the world as well. With that being said, before we can dive into the two alternate history scenarios that I've cooked up for you, let's look at some historical context on what actually happened. So, since 1910, Korea had been a colony of Japan, which had formally annexed it into its 
empire. However, this all changed with the end of the Second World War, which saw the Japanese surrender after millions of casualties, uh, a Soviet invasion and two nuclear attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So the Soviets, or the Russians, had invaded down through China and Korea, occupying the northern portion of the peninsula, whilst the Americans occupied the south. The dividing line between uh, northern communist and southern capitalist forces was drawn along the 38th parallel. Uh, so soon the Russians established a communist regime in the north, uh, known as the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, or as you might know them, North Korea, and a non-communist one was established by the Americans in the south, known as the Republic of Korea, or South Korea. Um, this was actually supposed to be a temporary measure. However, it soon became clear that the two new superpowers weren't quite ready to give up their influence in the region just yet. Both of these young nations, North and South Korea, were ideological enemies of one another, and both sides claimed to be the true government of Korea. Tensions were very high indeed. Um, the interwar years is a very interesting part of Korean history. However, due to the sake of time, I can't go into it, but I do encourage you to look into it yourself as uh, it is very interesting. But Fast forward to the uh, important bit to this episode. Uh, the 25th of June, 1950, so five years after the end of World War II, North Korea invades the South. So quickly it becomes clear that the North's army is far more capable than the South's. They push back the South and capture the capital of Seoul within days. The Southern forces fall back to an area called Busan in the southeast of the country. They then appeal to the newly founded United Nations for military assistance, and the United States, their ally, pushed for a multinational armed force to be sent to help defend South Korea. Uh, by the way, this is an important detail to remember for this episode. Um, the Soviet Union was boycotting the United Nations Security Council due to um, its lack of recognition for its fellow communist country, the People's Republic of China, meaning it could not veto the uh, United States' proposal. So the resolution passed and soon the UN force of mainly American, however, there were, of course, uh, South Koreans, British, Australian uh, troops were on their way. So once the UN arrived, they beefed up the defences around Busan. And then on the 18th of September, an amphibious assault led by General Douglas MacArthur helped push the North back. So by the end of September, all of South Korea had been liberated. So this left the United States in an awkward position. Their initial objective had been achieved. Uh, you know, South Korea had been saved. North Korea wasn't strong enough to attack the South as well as the UN forces on their own. But the US chose to go further. They decided to neutralize North Korea as a threat. And so they went on the offensive. They invade North, capture the capital of Pyongyang and quickly push them up to the Yalu River by the Chinese border. So I know that I've already mentioned China once before in this episode. Um, I mentioned that they were under a communist regime friendly to the Soviet Union. But prior to this, China had been going through uh, decades of on and off civil war, um, with the communists only coming to power the year before. So as the PRC was an ally of the Soviet Union and North Korea, it most definitely definitely did not like having so many hostile troops so near to its border. So on the 18th of October, only a month after Douglas MacArthur's attack, 250,000 Chinese soldiers crossed the Yalu River into Korea 
and smashed into the UN forces. And all over again, the communists were pushing back the south. The UN forces retreated, but were able to stabilize their front line at the 38th parallel. And for the next three years, the conflict raged in this region. Carpet bombing, trench warfare, mass killings of civilians, generally atrocious conditions for both sides involved. Um, this was until an armistice was signed um, in July of 1953. So there's the background context, you know what happened. But what if it didn't happen? What would the world look like had one side actually won the conflict? Um, so here's my prediction of what would have happened. So let's take a look at the consequences of our first scenario, um, a North Korean victory. So. It starts off very much the same. Uh, on the 25th of June, 1950, the North attacks the South. South Korea still appeals to the United Nations for help, but this is where our timeline diverges. So in this alternate timeline, the Soviet Union is not boycotting the Security Council, meaning it can veto a UN intervention. Um, this doesn't mean that they don't protest the lack of uh, Communist China's recognition by the UN. Um, it just means that they don't do it via the UN. So, the point is, no major intervention can occur on behalf of South Korea. The main help that they receive is through the United States who was supplying weapons to the South. Without UN help, the perimeter around Busan is breached and soon the South surrenders. Immediately, the remnants of the southern government is dissolved and the Kim regime starts to purge the now unified peninsula of those suspected to be enemies of the state. The sheer speed of which that the North was able to capitulate the South makes this a resounding victory for the communist world. Initially, the communist government would be like it was in the real world after the war ended, extremely anti-Western and authoritarian. But that being said, much of what makes North Korea today so North korea -y, is that the memory of the war is still strong in their national consciousness. Constantly, the regime uses it for propaganda purposes to maintain control over the population. With no southern enemy on its border and no American intervention, most of the bad blood between them is gone. So this is where I'm going to take a quick detour um, in regards to the impact of victory on Korea itself. And now I'm going to take a look at um, its immediate impacts on the rest of the world. So we can't look at the immediate ramifications of a communist victory in Korea um, without looking at uh, the United States. So for America, the loss of Korea would be seen as an absolute disaster. President Harry Truman, who had already faced loads of backlash from the loss of China to communism the previous year, would be seen as a weak leader, you know, one that was uh, unable to stand up to communism and unable to apply his own foreign policy of containment. So the era known as McCarthyism, which took place uh, in the mid-50s, would take place sooner in this alternate timeline, um, with greater government emphasis on trying to root out communist sympathisers within their midst. This would also come hand in hand with a more intense fear from the American public who were panicking that the US government was not doing enough to curb the expansion of communism uh, throughout the world. So I reckon that this, this loss of South Korea as an ally would cause the American public to panic and further put the government under pressure to act in the next chance it gets. The next chance it gets would of course be Vietnam. So the Vietnam War in our timeline, um, it started to see serious US involvement in the mid uh, 1960s. 
However, conflict had been raging in the region between Vietnamese uh, revolutionaries and the French, who were still trying to maintain their crumbling colonial empire in Indochina. Now, these Vietnamese revolutionaries were led by a man called Ho Chi Minh, who was very much inspired by the uh, works of Karl Marx and other communist thinkers. So the Americans might see this as a greater threat earlier on in this timeline. So I think that this might push the Americans to get involved in Vietnam a lot sooner, maybe during the mid-1950s. Um, now, the consequences of America getting involved sooner in Vietnam um, are actually huge. When the Americans got involved in Vietnam in the 60s, it was a war between two sovereign supposedly independent countries. But if the Americans choose to involve themselves in Vietnam while it's under French colonial occupation, then the US doesn't risk World War Three with North Vietnam's allies, China and the Soviet Union. So if the French and Americans were to engage in a joint military operation, um, I reckon it would have led to a pretty swift defeat for the Viet Minh. Um, and we wouldn't see Ho Chi Minh ever lead a united Vietnam under a communist regime. Oh yeah, and without the anti-war sentiment of our timeline, if, if the US public are more inclined to be supportive of the government going over to Vietnam and stomping all over the communists, then the anti-war movement, as well as the, the whole counterculture movement, that might be less prominent or even non-existent in this alternate timeline. So a shorter less bloody Vietnam War, which ended in a victory for the United States. This has massive consequences for the social politics of the United States. Um, in our timeline, Vietnam was a long, bloody, costly war, which saw much of the US population uh, disapprove of government involvement in it. However, in this alternate timeline, this would be totally different. Um, the anti-war and the counterculture movements might be less prominent or even non-existent. And that, I, I can barely go into the ramifications of that. Would that lead to a uh, delayed women's rights and civil rights movement in America? Um, if the public is much more paranoid of change and radicalism and the government acts on that, then who's to know that, you know, the civil rights movement and the women's liberation movement, the successes that they had in the mid-60s and 70s, maybe they would both be delayed by maybe a decade or maybe more. It, like, it, it blows your mind a bit, just thinking, if Vietnam hadn't been so costly and so bloody, then it, it just changes everything socially in America. Um, so, moving back to foreign diplomacy. So, I reckon that as previously mentioned, as Korea doesn't have as much bad blood between the Americans as they didn't actually fight a war between one another, I think Korean-American relations would slowly begin to normalise. Um, so as there, were, there would be like a less of a cult of personality in Korea, as the communist regime has no enemy on its border to direct its people's anger at, um, maybe Korea would slowly develop good terms with the United States and the rest. Whether or not this impacts the, the end of the Cold War, um, whether the North Korean government falls in the late 80s, early 90s with the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc, or whether, like China, it just simply adapts and begins to uh, adopt more, more liberal economic policies, who knows? Who knows?
So let's look at what the world might have looked like had the South been able to defeat the North. So uh, it starts off like the first scenario, very much the same as it did in real life. So the North invades the South, the UN intervenes, and they're able to push them up across the border. When the US made the decision to go on the offensive and capture all of Korea, this angered communist China, who then crossed over the Yalu River and drove south through Korea and into the UN forces. However, however, in this alternate timeline, the PRC chooses not to intervene and invade the south, maybe due to fear of nuclear retaliation. Now, remember, this is 1950. Atomic bombs had only been built five years prior. It was still very much in its infancy. There was much debate in the armed forces over how to use uh, this weapon. So there were those who thought that you know, the, this weapon was different to any other kind of bomb. Uh, so, and it had to be treated with care and it had better deterrent value than the chaos it would unleash if it were actually used in warfare. However, there were those in the government and the armed forces, um, like General Douglas MacArthur, um, who think that, you know, the atomic bomb, they're a valuable tool for generals to use. And this is exactly what General MacArthur wanted. He wanted to use 50 atomic bombs against China in retaliation for their intervention in Korea. Thankfully, President Truman um, didn't authorise this action because it's, it would have, obviously, it's nuclear bombs, but... It just goes to show how some in the US were prepared to use the bomb in conventional warfare, which might be enough to scare the Chinese into not retaliating in Korea. So, without Chinese intervention, Pyongyang is captured and eventually the North surrenders. Kim Il-sung is captured or killed and the entire peninsula is now under the control of South Korea under Syngman Rhee. Now, first of all, we need to remind ourselves that the South Korea of the 1950s wasn't the vibrant and wealthy democracy that we know them as today. During this time, it was extremely authoritarian and it acted that way. Immediately, the South would begin to round up communist sympathisers and either arrest or execute them. While this is happening, it becomes clear that a Korea under a non-communist regime has a harder time recovering from the war than the North did in our first scenario. Now, this isn't because of the, you know, whether that the communists had a better economic model than the South. It's because the communist advanced South, which caused massive damage to the South's infrastructure, um, it would be tough to recover from quickly anyway. But on top of this, the South's government now find themselves in control of the northern portion of the peninsula too, which had also seen just as much, if not more, damage from the UN intervention. Rebuilding after that much destruction is a lot for any country of any size to have on their plate. So because of this, well, the South, now a unified Korea, would be dependent on aid from the USA for years, maybe decades, after the war. And not only this, but a constant US military presence would be needed to remain at the border with China to ward off any attack. I do, however, think that as the years go by, um, a career unified under a southern government would essentially be similar to the one that we see today, just one encompassing the whole of the peninsula. So now let's look at how a uh, southern victory would impact the rest of the world. 
So for the USA and the West, the liberal democracies of the world, this would be seen as a great victory over the communist bloc. They had proven to the world that they were capable of protecting democracy and the actual liberation, the rolling back of communist authority. So for President Truman, this might actually be able to save some of his credibility after the loss of China. However, I still think that the Republicans would have won the next general election under Eisenhower. I've tried theorising how this would affect the conflict in Vietnam, but it's it's really tough. I'm kind of torn. Maybe the Americans would try and go two for two, get another victory against the communists by helping France and crushing the communists there as well, like in our first scenario. Or maybe the US public, without the loss of South Korea, would become more apathetic and less interested in the politics of East Asia, a bit more similar to what happened in our timeline. Um, What I am fairly sure of, though, is that for the Soviets and the Chinese, this is an absolute catastrophe. The Chinese inaction makes them seem weak on the world stage, and it puts a strain on the relationship between Stalin and Mao, the respective leaders of Russia and China. The Soviets might see the Chinese as an unreliable ally and the two countries might begin to distance from one another. So what might become a Sino-Soviet split could occur far sooner than it did in our timeline. This, in turn, could... I mean, do we see a three-way Cold War with the Americans, Soviets and the Chinese all competing against one another in their respective spheres of influence? I don't know. I don't know. But one thing that is clear is that the Chinese decision to not intervene on behalf of the North was a terrible one. And it only leads to them losing influence on the world stage and raising tensions with their most valuable ally. Whether this affects the speed that the Cold War would come to an end, maybe it would be quicker, maybe slower, who knows? That was uh, my alternate history of what if the Korean War had a winner. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you found it entertaining. I hope this has encouraged you to go out and learn more about uh, Korean history. And not just Korean history, but history in general. Um, Don't quite know what the next episode will be on, but there will be. Um, But yeah. Sorry, I don't quite know how to finish this. Uh, uh, I hope you are well. Hope you're safe. Hope you're healthy. Stay indoors. Uh, don't die. Okay, no, that's I can't I can't finish it on that. Can I? Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Bye. See you later.